everybody, it's Nick here again from Grayscale Gorilla Podcast, bringing you the tools, training, and tutorials to help make you a better motion designer. And today's podcast is all about being a noob. That's right, we're talking about just starting off as a motion designer, as a musician, as an artist, anything that you're really tackling, and how to get through that period so that you can do your best work. So we all chime in on some of the stories that we have when we were just starting off and some of the things that helped us progress faster. So stay tuned for that. We also talk a little bit about 3D news and some other upcoming things happening over at Grayscale Gorilla. But with that, let's head right into the podcast and let's get talking. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Grayscale Gorilla podcast. We got Chad Ashley here. Say hi, Chad. Chad's clapping. Hello. 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 And Chris, do you have a, a workout that you're going to lead everybody with? Oh, no. I'm still wearing my pajama <laughs> pants, so I'm not going to do that. It's, uh, it's, it's cold here in the Midwest. Uh, for those of you listening in warm weather, um, you, you know, uh, enjoy it. It's, uh, it snowed like a foot here, I think in Chicago as well, correct? Uh, a little bit less. Quite. It's been uh, it's been a little bonkers here in Michigan. How are you guys been? Staying warm? Oh yeah, trying to. Good. I was just doing some jumping jacks to get the energy up. You know, it gets a little uh, with the with the sun going down. It's not. It's in some ways it makes me more productive because it's a little gloomy and it makes me want to stay inside and get work done. But then when the sun sets at four, I'm like, what am I? What am I gonna do? Like it's bedtime. I know. Yeah, so we, we were on a call, uh, Danny and I were on a call with Chad the other, on Friday, and it was like the sun was going down, we had to turn lights on, and Chad's like, it's like you're in a different time zone, what's going on over there? <laughs> you guys didn't have any lights on, and it gets so dark so fast that like, yeah, if you don't... It sneaks up on you. Yeah, it totally does, and what I hate about it too is like if you're, you know, you end your day, and it just seems like the night takes forever, like I, it gets dark at like four o'clock or whatever it is. And then around like 6.30, you'd swear it was like 9.30. Mm-hmm. And, and you're like, wait, it's only like 7 o'clock? This is weird. I kind of like that, though. That makes your night seem longer. It, it does. It's it fun. Does. The, the cent- and central time zone in Chicago is right on the edge. So it's actually mm-hmm. like on the earliest part of the sun. So it, it's one of, the, one of the places that's earliest when it gets dark is like right on the border of Michigan. Yeah, and, Chicago. and we are right on the border. You guys are right yeah. on the edge of the time zone. So... Yeah, it's a fun one. Um, now, I'm opposite. I'm in Michigan. I'm on the other side of the time zone. So it's a little bit brighter. It stays a little bit brighter for me, but still, it's like not fun. Um, well, what, what's going on today in the 3D world, in the, in the news? Uh, uh, Chad, you mentioned the, the, the Golden Globes uh, for animation was just yeah, uh, announced. Yeah, so the Hollywood Foreign Press just released the 2017 Golden Globes. Uh, all the all the films and whatnot that are nominated. And uh, I thought we could talk about the best motion picture animated feature or category rather, and see which ones you guys have seen and what you think about them. Um, So do you want to just dive into that? Lay it on me. All right. So best motion picture animated for 2017 golden globe nominations are Kubo and the two strings, which is a fantastic movie. Uh, Moana, which you knew was going to happen. My life as a zucchini, which I had not, I've not seen nor heard I don't about. Think I've heard of that? Is that like a bikini made out of animals? 
I don't know. Um, is that is that French? It sounds like it might be French. It's uh, Rita Productions, Blue Spirit Productions, Gebeka Films. I don't know. I don't know, recognize any of these production companies, which leads me to believe it must be good because it's probably foreign, and usually those are pretty pretty good. Um, Sing, and rounding it all out is Zootopia. Hmm. So Ooh. that was um, it was this year. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, yeah. Nice. that's the only one I saw. Zootopia. I enjoyed that. Uh, one. Yeah, I think I that mean, might also be the only one I saw. Well, if you haven't seen Moana and Kubo, I think you know Moana is still in theaters, and Kubo you can actually rent it right now. Oh, and cool. Kubo was made by Leica out of uh, I think they're in Portland. And yeah, I'm, so, I, I actually feel guilty I haven't seen that one because every yeah. time I don't see their movie in the theater, and then I watch it, and I love it. I know they they make the most imaginative. Oh my god, my films. life as a zucchini is French. I just looked it up. I nice. totally guessed just based on the name, and it is French made. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, we'll ha- that you know we'll have to watch that one because I bet it's it's probably pretty good. Yeah, Kubo was great. Leica, their stuff is always amazing. Oh, it's gorgeous, um, and it just looks so good. Moana looked amazing and was also very very good. Zootopia again, like that. Yeah, that was. I mean, you saw that it was so much detail, gorgeous. so much went into that. It was, I, I, I can't believe how mature the technology's gotten. That it's just like, oh, well, let's just populate a gigantic city with every type of animal you can imagine. I know. Like, and the, just and all the hair long ago. Yeah, it's just, oh my God, it's all so absolutely gorgeous. And also, I mean, I can't speak to the other ones because I've only seen Zootopia, but did you see like their their long trailer? I think it was in front of Star Wars and they just did the sloth scene yep. in the theater. And I, I'm trying to think of the last time the theater was laughing that hard. Oh, I mean, they killed. were all here to see Star Wars, and everybody's laughing at these sloths. <laughs> oh, it, it killed, dude. Like, uh, my kids were dying over that sloth. Dude, and, everybody like, was. It, it, it was. was so is so amazing like and that's that's the perfect type of trailer it spoiled nothing it's like oh this is a, a, a movie with animals in it like it looks like there's a cop and someone who's annoying her and besides <laughs> that it was just a scene from the movie i like Instead that they the, did the trailer you can see the entire plot through the through the trailer they had that um that other trailer for zootopia that was all shot on white that was kind of like oh yeah uh, that was like the first one that was the teaser i think oh yeah, yeah just kind of addressed the audience and kind of talked um Kind of like, hey, this is my character. This is the other character. Come watch this movie, kind of thing. I thought that yeah. was really interesting. Because yeah, I mean, man, I uh, I really don't enjoy the the spoiler stuff in the in the movies. Oh and, man, and the, I've been in the trailers. I think that's what's got me so nervous about Rogue One is that they have shown so much in the trailers, and it's impossible to not see the trailers because they're on everything. And I really am looking forward to that film, and I'm really hoping that they save some bits for the for the actual movie and didn't give it all away in the trailer because it does look fantastic. It's the Star Wars movie that I've been waiting for, um, so I'm I'm really excited about it. And it it's just I'm really hoping that I don't go there and just end up watching all the trailer parts and getting all trailer. pissed off. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that one. I know Nick's a huge Star Wars fan, so I know you're going to be there. You're going to probably be camped out with your tent. We pre-ordered our tickets. My group pre-ordered our tickets like two weeks ago. If yeah, I got to get on that. I'm going to try to do that. I might try to see it. Does it come out for the holidays? I think it's like the 14th or 15th. It's kind of oh wow, that's smart. Yeah. Oh Jesus, this week, sweet. Uh oh. Yeah, it looks pretty killer. I gotta say. All right. I, I think I'm going to give the, the last one a chance because 
just of the switching of directors and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think I think you might like this, this one. This might just, be a good one to start with. Yeah, the tone of it I think is nice, and, and it, 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 this is this takes know. place before the others. So this mm-hmm. the Scorsese did this one, right? <laughs> yes, Nick. <laughs> all right, let's uh, uh, let's wait, wait, get into. Wasn't there was there one more movie? Oh wait, what were we doing? Oh, we did all the uh, the Golden Globe picks. Yeah, and, those uh, are the those are the picks for animated. I don't know if you guys care about the other ones. Other um, movies? No. Yeah, <laughs> not here. So Deadpool. I gotta say, I just got. Now we're on movie subject. Just oh real my quick. gosh, Deadpool. Um, I don't know if anybody has been following the drama between um, Tim Miller and uh, that made me sad. And uh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. So there. So you know, basically, Tim Miller was set to direct. Deadpool 2 and of course Ryan Reynolds through the first one yeah just the same team um somewhere along the lines the the studios or somebody was saying that they wanted Deadpool to be bigger and and more you know money and just this a larger film altogether and Tim Miller uh ironically went on a on a on a CG podcast uh that's called I believe it's called god what's the name of it uh, CG Garage, I think, is the name of the podcast. It's kind of a V-Ray focused podcast. Tim Miller and Joseph Kaczynski, whoever, if you if you're not familiar with Joseph Kaczynski, he's an amazing director, 3D artist. They're both 3D artists turned directors on this podcast, talking about their careers. And what's interesting is Tim Miller talks about how he broke away from Deadpool two and why he did that. And basically, he wanted to make the same kind of movie as Deadpool one. Uh, where it was kind of a smaller budget, smaller team, but just really kind of fun and scrappy. And the studio wanted to do like a larger kind of big blockbuster thing, and he didn't really agree with it. So he stepped off the project. Everybody was fine. Nobody was mad about it. But So Tim Miller is no longer associated with Deadpool. Tim Miller also owns Blur Studios, if you know their work, fantastic CG studio. That's why I've been looking so much forward to uh, Deadpool originally. Exactly. And the, the podcast is actually cool because Joseph Kaczynski was, I'm a huge fan of his work. He actually did a lot of really amazing CG in the early thousands and then went on to direct Tron Legacy. Um, and he's done a bunch of really great Nike spots and whatnot. So it was cool to hear him talk and whatnot. But sorry, Nick, I had to just jump into a movie thing just that's for good. a second. That's all. That's all um, on you guys. I just, uh, I, I can't contribute too much to that, but I'm sure, I'm sure the audience is okay with that. I, a lot of, um, I know a lot of our audience, uh, you know, listens listens to a lot of movies. What do they do? Do they implant them <laughs> yeah, in your you, head? You watch movies, Nick. Do they yeah, implant them in your head now? I think they're with your. With I, your I think I, I understand why Nick's not big into movies. He didn't realize there's a visual component. <laughs> <laughs> I just put on the podcast, and uh, they seemed a little boring to me, especially those talking scenes. <laughs> You're confused, like man, this, this I don't get this. Up. What's that special effects section all about? What are they doing there? Like, it's actually really cool. There's planes everywhere. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear them. I didn't. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, we'll have to talk That's about funny. me and movies in another podcast. Um, uh, what else we got going? We got Chad. You got a new phone? I got a new phone. It's not here yet, so I can't put it up on screen. But I, I am, I am a huge phone nerd. And both, um, I kind of, I'm a phone nerd for all the phone iOS or iOS, I guess. iOS is uh, just Apple. So I'm a f- Apple phone, Android phone kind of nerd where I've had both and I like mm-hmm. to kind of switch back and forth. Although lately, I, I don't think I'm going to switch back because now I'm on Google Fi and I'm paying like a ridiculously low price. So I got the Google Pixel. 
uh, on its way. I got the 128 gig phone. I got um, the smaller one, which if you know me, I have like a fairly large phone and I'm a little tired of it. So I'm going back to a smaller phone, which is kind of new for me um, to go back to a a five inch. I think it's five inch display. Um, So I'm looking forward to that because um, the camera is supposed to be killer on that phone. Uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to trying it out, and also just the the whole Google Assistant thing seems really neat, and how it can, you know, like essentially be your assistant. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> It'll like do stuff for you. Uh, assistant, Google this for me. Yeah, exactly. Is that what it does? is that what the Google Assistant does? It Google stuff for you. No, it it's it it ties into like everything on the phone, so you can you supposedly. It, it, it's contextual, so you can say what movies are playing, and it'll tell you what movies are playing. Oh, I want to see, get me a ticket to that, and it'll know. Mm. You won't have to say the name of the movie and all that. It'll supposedly it'll be able to like contextually understand what you're saying and what you're talking about. So everyone's um, kind of got their AI robot helper. That is, yeah, it's trying this to kind of like the AI robot on. It's like the best one out there, supposedly. I'll let you know in a few weeks when I get the phone. But um, it it kind of is. It's it's kind of where I hoped Siri would have gone, but didn't go. Uh, and then, uh, of course, I love the fact that the phone uh, gives you free photo and video storage at 100% resolution on the cloud. Oh, wow. So you don't ever have to... I mean, it shoots 4K video, too. So it's got this really nifty um, digital stabilization for the 4K video. It just looks buttery smooth. And then you can just upload right that to the cloud, and you never run out of storage. So there, your phone will never get that annoying, like, you don't have enough space to do this. So that's... Um, I'm looking forward to that. Um yeah, so I'll let you guys know. I'll give you a, a breakdown when I get it. Nice. Oh, I did want to let you guys know that I did start watching Westworld. Oh, nice. So oh, I'll nice. fill you in as I go. But I I, I tried to give it a shot uh, when it first came out, mostly because of the titles. Some friends of ours uh, worked on the titles, and I was like, I'll just watch them on the big screen. That's cool. And then I started seeing, like, Western boring Western stuff, and I'm like, nah, this is not for me, and I shut it off. And then I heard all this, you know, all this more talk, more talk, more. I'm like, man, people really like their Westerns. And then, um, and then I watched it again. <laughs> and uh, no spoiler alert, um, you, you just keep watching it, and it's uh, not all a Western. So uh, I've, I've been digging it. I watched the first uh, episode, or uh, I guess I'm digging, I'm digging it enough to watch the second one. So maybe, maybe okay. that'll finally be something. Wow. Wow. Finally well, good, be something good, luck I for, watch. Good, good news for you, Nick. If you do end up liking it as much as I do and, and Chris does, you'll be happy to know that the season two is going to premiere in 2018. Oh my gosh, really? Dang. That's when yeah. they decided? That's, yeah, but that's that, like, that could be as little as like a year and a month. Yeah, dude, that's a long time. I think oh, by yeah. that time, we'll probably be robots watching the show <laughs> we'll be list uh, all the movies we watch will be on podcasts yeah by, by then we'll be listening to them <laughs> like nick does all right um a couple more n- bits of news here and then uh we'll get into our main topic um we have a new update of hdri studio rig coming out and uh i guess the first bit of news is it used to be called hdri studio pack and so if those of you out there looking at the site, you're like, where is HDRI Studio Pack? It's now called HDRI Studio Rig. 
mostly because we sell HDRI packs now on our website, and that tends to get a little bit confusing. So if a you're lot looking, of bit confusing. Yeah, a lot of bit confusing. <laughs> and so it was a rig. <laughs> so the biggest thing about that is if you've seen us, it, it's probably my most used. That and Top Coat are probably my most two used uh, plugins that we make. Um, if if you guys own it, you'll be able to log in your customer download area this week and get the update. And um, uh, Chris, what's updated in this one? What could what could people uh, expect here? Uh, oh, yeah, real quick, to- if you don't know, HDRI Studio Rig allows you to click uh, instantly between uh, seventy uh, uh, HDRI rigs or uh, seventy HDRI studios that are included, and then you could buy packs to kind of upgrade it into indoor, outdoor, and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, it's it like I said. It's probably my most used plugin. If you're not familiar with it, check it out. Uh, Chris, what's new in the new version? Uh, yeah, well, for anybody who's familiar with HDRI Studio Rig, uh, we are, let's see. This is a this is just kind of like a little tiny point update. So it's not like a full version type thing. But we got we got quite a few little uh, features getting thrown in. The first one is we have a bug fix. Uh, they changed some code in the RE18 with reflectance, and it broke our shiny floor. Um, it, well, it broke our slider. So we fixed that. The, the Reflections working again. Um, probably the biggest new feature is we made it so that you, you know you have all your HDRs, and if you get all all of our collections of all different HDRs, you get all these beautiful gigantic HDRs everywhere. But it's really big. It's like once you get all of them, how big, uh, Chad? How many? How big is the the folder if you have every HDR now? Uh, gosh, it's probably about. Mm. Like, over nine gigs. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's getting so close we're talking to like 12. Gigs and gigs and gigs. So one of the tricky, well, so what we did is we added in something called remote path. And you can now, you can now, or actually I think it's changed directory. I forget we changed it, but you can set a remote path now. It's so what used to happen, you know, because this is like compatible with R14 or something and up, let's say you're using R17 in some jobs, maybe R18 in other jobs, or you have different logins on your machine, all these different things. Every time you used to have to reinstall HDRI Studio, you had to copy all of the HDRIs with it everywhere. But now you can just have the folder in one place on the computer and say, go look into that folder and it'll just find them. Um, Which is awesome for teams too. Yes. Companies, whatnot, where you have all of your textures on a server. It's awesome for that. It's completely changed our workflow because we we've been keeping all of ours on Dropbox, mm-hmm. and now all of us are linking to the master folder, and anything changes in there, ours automatically updates. Add right. a new pack in there, and I start photoshopping updates. myself into the backgrounds. I mean, Nick's already in most of them, so that's true. You just got to look for his shoes. Just got to hide. That's the <laughs> that's the real trick about shooting HDRs is uh, getting yourself out of them. It's like yeah. half ninja, half photographer. That's that's what's fun. There's a, there's a little game. If you guys didn't know, there's a mini game you can play in HDRI Studio, and that is Find Nick. And it's usually like his head poking out behind a plant or his shoe behind a pole. But <laughs> Especially it, the, uh, uh, the, the road trip ones where I shot some of those with the Theta camera, the Theta 360 cam. Because it shoots 360, there's no escaping it, right? If you're in the middle yeah. of the desert <laughs> trying to get a cool HDR, it's like, you know, my car and my shoes are in, you know, a, a few of those like way off in the distance hopefully but <laughs> as far as you can run in the timer yeah exactly uh let's see what else we got uh the browser we did actually there's a lot of behind the scenes work in the browser so it's completely different browser tech it won't look terribly different to people except it runs a lot faster before we were limited to only seeing a few images per otherwise it would run really slow but now we can see hundreds so we actually have added a show all button in the mm. browser so you can see all of your hdrs at one time 
Um, we a tiny feature, but I freaking use this all the time. Is if you have the HDRI Studio rig already in your uh, object menu, object manager, you can just double click the icon and it'll pop open the browser. So instead of clicking on it and then going inside of it and finding the open browser button, you just double click the icon, it pops right open. So that's amazing. And the last tiny feature is if you're in R18, then uh, you know, in R18, they added in the open the ability for OpenGL to give you kind of some some really nice real-time reflection feedback. And they have their default HDR in there. Well, we figured out how to feed our HDR into that channel. So as you click through, if you're in R18, then you will get we, – we have an environment override. So you can actually see our reflection in the background. Um, so – yeah, uh, that nice, one, nice Chris, I didn't even know you did that when I was using it um, recently, and I totally was so pumped. Like, you don't even have <laughs> to see a render. Like, I talk about this a lot with iteration. You can now use the viewport to get a rough idea of where your lights are angling and what parts of the reflection are being hit on your object and all that kind of stuff. It's really it's really cool to see, and uh, I, I totally forgot that was coming. So uh, thank you. Thanks for adding that. Yeah, that was, a, that was a last second add-on and totally worked. Yeah, and this is a free update for anybody that owns HDRI Studio Rig. Um, you can go download it. It should be up this week. And um, we're also going to try to send you guys an email to let you know it's up, ready to go. And then anybody specifically, if you're using R18, make sure you update uh, just so the reflective floor, that little bug is fixed. But uh, everybody should update for this show all, all the new browser stuff. And and into the future, too, we're also simplifying some of the uh, ways that all of our HDRI packs are named. So if you see slightly different names moving forward, it's all in the idea to simplify this for everybody so that we just have one folder for one pack. So uh, we'll explain more of that as we go on. We just know a lot of our customers use HDRI Studio Rig. Uh, it's probably our most used plugin these days, not only personally, but for our customers. So we wanted to get that word out there. All right. We got one more uh, little thing here. Uh, Chris or Chad actually had a question for Chris about yeah. Cinema 4D, which I constantly, as as you guys know, uh, ask Chris Cinema 4D questions because he seems to know some stuff. So we thought it'd be a little bit fun. We kind of need a jingle maybe for this part of the part of it. It's like the <laughs> yeah, st- I think we do. It's like the stump Chris, like <laughs> da, 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 da. Chris. Yeah, I'll work that, on it. I'll work. Yeah, on work, it. let's work on that. Um, but right, Chad, so. you have a little qu- uh, question for Chris. I do. I'm rubbing my hands, getting ready for my question. Uh-oh. Now, this is, now this is obscure, which is why, you know, I'm not holding my breath that there's a solution for this. But, okay, so as you know, I got kind of into the tokens of the outputs uh, for your renders. So in Cinema 4D, you can use tokens to kind of create an output that is um, kind of made so that you don't have to constantly name your output. It, it kind of can look at your directory structure and, and kind of walk back to directories and then you know, kind of name itself almost. Okay. So that workflow I was really getting into. Then I started thinking about, okay, well, when I used to use Maya and Max, I would keep my texture, my texture files in a texture folder that was completely separate from my scene folder, my scene files. And it was usually like textures and it was like in my folder structure in a certain place. Now, um, in cinema, it's different because you it'll build the dot it'll build the text folder for you, or it'll look for it 
in the same folder as your as your scene file. But if you're in like if you're doing multiple shots, maybe multiple uh, project files, and your project files are in folders, that can get really messy, and you end up having like twenty of the same textures, and it gets hairy. So. I noticed that in Cinema 40, if you go under Preferences, it has a little section where you can tell it where else to look for textures. Now, here's my problem. I thought I'm doing some really cool stuff with my render tokens in my output with you know, the dot, dot, slash, making, making my output look like a few directories before uh, to look for that render output directory that I built. That technology, as far as I could tell, either I wasn't doing it right or it doesn't work, but I want to do the same thing for textures because I don't want to have to tell it to build a texture right in that folder or in that in that same directory. I want to have a texture folder that's like two folders up from my scene file, and I want all my textures to live there, and I want it to always um, be dependent on that on that project. Does that does any of this make sense? Is it is it making sense right now, or am I just talking I gibberish? I think I'm following, but. but uh, well, finish it up and I'll see. Okay, so the goal is this. The goal is to have a texture folder with textures that you throw in there. And I no longer have to worry about, number one, them existing in multiple places because they're only in one folder, texture folder. And I never have to even tell it where that texture folder is because it's always looking two directories back for a specific directory that's called like textures or something. So uh, it's really hard um, to kind of... I, maybe I could, you know, shoot you a screen grab or something. But the, I, the the thing is, is like maybe I'm just not thinking about it the way cinema artists think about it. And I apologize, I'm new to the program. So how, what is the proper way to in which work with multiple textures across multiple scenes without having to have them in every folder? Right. I, I don't think you're you're you seem to be asking for kind of the token system in in texture finding but and i don't sort you of. can't you can't go that far with it and i think you actually kind of hit the two the two paths you can take as far as i know in cinema one is you keep it in your local folders you just have like the the tex folder in in your default one you know mm -hmm. along with your files and then you know along those lines if you keep opening like let's say you're working on, on different iterations of the same project, you just keep saving all those iterations in that same folder and all the textures will live in that same texture folder and they won't repeat because they're all in that same folder. And then you were talking about, you can go into the uh, edit preferences and then in preferences, you go to files. Under files, you have 10 different texture paths you can set. Mm -hmm. And in the texture paths, you can set like absolute locations like like look in this folder for the textures and it will always look in that it'll actually look through everything it'll look through your local texture folder if it doesn't find it it'll look into this texture folder if it's not there it'll look for the next one so you can kind of have your master texture folders and in fact when you install texture kit from grayscale gorilla you set one of these paths to be that that path so it can go find those textures so along those lines like when you say go up to folders and find it, you, you can't do that as a relative thing. You'd have to make this absolute folder. But if you were to build your folder structure, I don't know the way your folders are, but let's just say you have a master folder called projects. And then inside of that folder, you can make a master texture folder. And then you start, you know, and then you just link to that, like one of your file in the right, preference yeah. there. And in the side, it will always look in there all the time. Um, but as far as like creating some remote path where it goes up two levels, that's that I don't think that's a thing that exists right now. <laughs> that should exist. I'm just saying. 
because it gets hairy, man. Like when you have, you know, and let's say you're working on a big job or something and you've got uh, texture files that, you, first of all, you don't ever want to have all of your scene files in one location because especially when you start versioning and you have different shots and you have different scenes, different cameras, you're going to want to break those out into folders and you don't want to have necessarily, I mean, yes, it's pretty easy to go into that, into that um, preference and, and point it to your texture folder. But I was just thinking like, cause I'm, I was getting into that whole automation thing. And if any of the Maxon people are listening, it would be awesome to have that same ability to do relative paths uh, in that little area, as well as the render output, because then I could essentially create um, a master project file that has a texture folder that cinema is always looking to. And now I don't have textures going missing or, uh, you know, broken links and, I don't know. Just just something that my that's how I used to work in Maya and Max and stuff and I I feel like it's a good, it's a good workflow that I wish we had in cinema. Maybe we should change the name of this to uh that should exist. That's the name of the <laughs> That's actually true. And this is uh Chad hits the same all I do, which is like years ago it got to the point where I I couldn't ask tech support questions anymore because the answer was always no that's not possible. Like <laughs> So, so it's yeah. like, okay, I, I already know if I ask a question, it doesn't exist. Yeah. I kind of run into that wall a lot, but that's why we make tools. That's right. That's that. That tends to when, when we get frustrated, <laughs> that's when our, that's when, <laughs> that's when, when, when we ask in? Chris and Chris goes, yeah, it's really not possible. We go, can it be possible? Can we code <laughs> exactly. it? Can we make it? Is that can we make this happen? That's how a lot of our that's how a lot of our plugins get started. In fact, Signal, I remember really specifically showing Chris how um, how to how I animated in After Effects, which was a co- combination mm. of keyframes, simple keyframes, but then also adding things like um, the wiggle uh, parameter. Yeah, add wiggle. Yeah, what mm-hmm. do they call that? It's not Expresso inside there. It's it's um, Motion Script or something like that. There was a name for the After Effects coding. Language. I'm completely blanking on it, but I never knew it that well. Chad, I, just thought, that? I just thought it was an expression. I didn't know. Was there an actual name Actually, for it? I think it is expression. So I would always use the wiggle expression to add a little bit of like dynamic wiggle. And then I would use mm-hmm. a secondary wiggle expression that said only based on how fast you're moving and all this stuff. And I'm like, let's build something like that for for um, cinema. And so like that's Actually, kind of how those things happen. Actually, I think I recall quite vividly because I was super confused. Your original pitch on Signal was let's make transform for one parameter. And I was like, what the heck are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That would have been like, what? (laughs) Say what? What say you what? It's very often that I walk in and say something and the whole room goes, "Uh, you're going to have to explain a little further (laughs) there, Nick. Elaborate. Uh, Yeah. Well, so here's – we've had this topic kind of looming on our topic list, and I thought today we could all dive into the idea of um, of being new at something, be- being a noob. I think that the word noob gets thrown around quite a lot in a, in a, in a bad way, you know? There's always – in any uh, group of people that have been doing something, there's always this uh, idea of like, oh, you're just a noob. Um, so I've always thought of it in a slightly different way, which is like being a noob is the 
best, most fun part of almost anything. Like getting excited and learning something new, at least for me, is one of the most happy times of my life. When I um, discover that there's a uh, discover that there's a new thing that I could just go be obsessed in, that is some of the most exciting parts of of research and learning and being around new people. Um, and so for me, I wanted to open this idea of, you know, what do you guys think when it comes to being a noob, being new at something, not only, I, I guess, what are the, what are the things you think about when it comes to starting a new project like that, learning something new? And then I thought we could also maybe help some people out there that are new in some subject. It could be Cinema 4D. It could be something else that they're learning. What are the things that they can think about or what are the tactics they could use to learn faster and kind of transition into somebody that understands this stuff a little more? Um, and for me, I don't know if this helps frame it a little bit, but for me, when it comes to anything, when it comes to any any amount of learning about something new, there's always that really first beginner period, which is the noob period. The reason, the reason people stand out so uh, much like a sore thumb as a noob is because they ask the wrong questions. They're oh, running, yeah. they're running the wrong way in a video game, right? They're they're like they don't even know what's going on, and that is is some of the most interesting times to learn something uh, new because you don't even know what you don't know at that point. Yes, and, it, and it's mm-hmm. such an it's such an exciting yet. It's such an exciting part, but yes, it's daunting, Chad. And you also sometimes have these, this group of people that will stand and pretend like they've never been there before and say, get out of here, (laughs) new guy. You're like, where else am I supposed to learn which way to run in this video game other than with you guys? Like, so anyway, I don't know if that helps frame it. What have you guys come across when learning new stuff? What are your thoughts about when you... When you're a noob at something, what do you? How do you conduct yourself? And maybe some things that we can give to our audience as far as ways that they can transition through that and become slightly less of a noob, so that they could go be a noob in something else later. Wow, that's a big, uh, it's a big, it's a big topic. topic. That's a big topic, dude. Like I'm, I'm scratching my head here, literally. Well, uh, I don't know exactly. I don't know the the big part of the topic, but just to expand on some of the stuff you were saying, and I do think it's really important. Is I, I there's th- there's two the two most challenging parts are like you're, what you're saying when you're in the beginning and you're super ignorant of the topic and you don't know what you don't know. That's super intimidating, and I think that's what stops people from starting things. And then there's a second area, which is uh, which is I think where Grayscale Gorilla comes in very often, which is. If you, especially with the internet, you can jump online and find basic information about pretty much anything. Like maybe not introductory stuff, and it's really hard to find somebody who's going to talk to an absolute noob. But it's pretty easy to go and be like, oh, here's how you, you know, in cinema or something. It's like, oh, here's how you create a light. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. It's a lot harder. And then, you know, I'm jumping all over the place a little bit, but then, so you have like introductory information, not terribly hard to find. And then, you know, there's experts in the world. There's people who know what they're talking about. You're on a forum or something, and these guys know exactly what they're talking about, but you don't even feel qualified to send them a message because you have no idea what you're talking about. So the transition from knowing a little bit to knowing a lot, there is such a wide gulf between those two things. And I think it's always been a big goal of Grayscale Gorilla to cater to that audience. Like, hey, you already know you already know you like 3D. You've already played with it. And you want to start making pretty things. You want to start making stuff that looks like real work. Here's how you do it. 
and then you know eventually you and then you've always said like you you know nick you say you know you're you're not like an expert in this stuff you're just making it up as you go so so we've always catered to that audience uh and then at a certain point you can be like, now you can go and hang out and talk to the experts and ask intelligent questions and you've got a basis to be like hey critique this thing i made but when you're completely brand new at it or even when you're a beginner you're like, oh, I, I, like, I can't ask those questions yet because I'm not qualified to ask those questions. Yeah, and I and th- those it, are the two challenging points, I think. Yeah, and that, that reminds me of, of something I'm, I'm sure I talked about a lot, which is creating a secondary community that is just below the experts that kind of protects the experts from all the stupid questions, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> the, the quickest way that you can go ruin a place where a bunch of experts are hanging out is to flood it with new people that are asking, like, where's the save button? Right. Mm -hmm. And so and or like or like, you know, how do I add reflections to this or how do I add dynamics like these questions in cinema, at least that get asked over and over again. So one one thing that you could do is create a secondary kind of area of subclass, you know, learners that are trying to answer each other's questions so that when they're all stumped. They know now to walk up the mountain and ask somebody that's been doing this for 10 years. Right. And so that, that's always what, what I've, what, what I've tried to do here, but also what I've always encouraged everyone else to do, which is like, don't jump into an expert thing and start asking those questions. Like ask the person that learned it yesterday. And this is why I encourage everybody to do video tutorials because I'm like, we don't need ex- more experts doing stuff because they're only going to help other experts. We need more people at all levels. We still need the experts, but we need people at this level to bring level zero people up to one and level one people up to five. And then we can kind of scale up into the higher level stuff. So that is absolutely something you could do. But as as a, you know, as somebody that's just starting, one of the best things you can do is find those find those videos or find that person where you could just hang around them and listen to how they talk, right? Listen to the language they use and listen to what they care about and search for and look for and, and then ask them the question, hey, what do you mean by that? Because um, then they're much more likely to, to help you and to, to guide you through these things. Mm-hmm. That, that's why... That's why finding that mentor, finding that early on mentor that that can see what you're excited about and can see themselves where you where they used to be in that new position. And they can Mm kind of like hold your hand through the fire, whether that's online or in person or however you can find these people be around that group Um, because that new that new part is so uh, it's such a difficult part of learning because on top of that. Again, you have these you have these people that have been doing it for a long time. Some of them actually don't want you there. Some of them are like, "Oh gosh, uh, here comes all the here comes all the new people." You know, uh, this was all our little band that we liked, and now the band's <laughs> becoming popular. <laughs> it's that same like BS, you know, idea yeah. of like, "Oh boy, here comes all the new people." It, there can than- be good. There can be non-annoying noobs, though. Like there's there's annoying noobs, and then there's non-annoying noobs. And that's and a good, good. Point. I've had I've had and been both at different stages in my career, and um, it it it's a fine line as a noob. You have to walk where you're not. You don't want to appear. Um, you don't want to be a pain in the ass to the people that that mm-hmm. know what they're talking about, but you still need to learn this stuff. So. 
Um, the goal for every noob should be to not be a noob. And, and the goal of every noob should be to graduate from that, that um, I guess, whatever you want to call it, title. Uh, and the way you're going to do that is through your own hard work and doing research, figuring out what this stuff is called. How does this work? I mean, it's so easy to be a noob right now. I mean, it was hard when the Internet wasn't around and, and you had to do it all through going to conferences and looking at manuals. But now you can literally spend a week on any subject in 3D, whether it's right. texturing, rigging, animation, and find at least a couple hours probably way more on that subject to kind of get you over that hump a little bit um the thing that annoyed me the most about working at a studio and having a noob come in whether it was an intern or um a new artist or something was when they didn't they they just assumed i don't like it when people consider other artists to be their google and and they just walk up for everything and tap you on the shoulder or hit you on IM or whatever. And they're like, hey, what, where's this button at? And you're like, dude, really? Like, you could have Googled that and, like, saved me from having to stop what I'm doing and, and do that. So at, you have to be conscious of how you how do you um, kind of conduct yourself as a noob, I guess, mm -hmm. whether you're in a forum or at a studio, just be mindful of people's time and, and their energies. And you don't want to like, you know, take them away from what they're doing for something that you could easily just Google. But I do think absorbing as much as you can is always good, whether it's online or in person, um, go to the meetups. And I think people are a lot more willing to help you if they've, if they've seen your face and they know you and like, you've gone to something and there I'd be more likely to help you out on Twitter. If somebody hits me with a question, if I've seen you and shaken your hand and had a drink with you or whatnot, than just some rando that's never talked to me before. Um, so it's important to kind of build those relationships, I think. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there's comes... like, it's all different state. I think the thing about GSG and like getting back to what Chris was saying about how catering to noobs is something that GSG has done in the past. I think that it's not that um, I don't think that, it's necessarily true that we specifically cater to noobs. I think we give noobs a safe place to ask questions. Mm. And that's how I've always, I mean, I've always, you know, going back to before I even started on Cinema 4D, I used to bash Cinema 4D for being a noob tool until I started using it. And you know that story. Um, but I will say that to me, GSG is just a good place for you to ask any question, no, how, no matter how noob or expert it will get answered, hopefully. Um, and that's cool because there's not a lot of places that do that. All right, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox. No, no, this is, um, this is good. It comes, it comes back to something I try to learn a lot about, which is the, the learning process. Like learning how to learn is important to me because if you've ever – the knowledge is often the easiest part of, any, of anything like the fact of something or knowing like weight loss is the is an exercise is like always the go-to example for this eating less working out more always works right like th that knowledge is not the hard part of somebody that is working really hard to like change their body right the the motivation and the what to do next and what happens with this specific thing and what if I go to a friend's house and they don't have something for me to eat like all those complicated things is what makes that stuff hard the knowledge part of it is almost the the easiest part so it it's almost if I if I translate that into cinema you're you're right the question I always try to ask the expert is rarely 
um, it, like what button is it? Because that is something that you should Google. And if nothing else, it is something that you should partner up with a buddy with and, and you, you, you ask each other. Hey, do you remember where that is? Or do you remember where this button is? I can't figure it out. Or I, mm-hmm. I installed my Wacom and now it's all messed up. Like those are the questions you want to ask your buddies and your group and your your system. And then when you decide to go up the mountain and, uh, you know, it's just a metaphor. But when you decide to ask somebody that's been doing this stuff for a long time, those are often questions like, you know, work-life balance questions, Right. Those are those are the things I try to say for those people where it's like, how do you how did you get here? Like, how did you get here? That's a much more important question to ask somebody that's doing the job. Maybe you ultimately want to get rather mm-hmm. than a cinema 4D question. Right. So yeah. it, understanding who to ask what questions to can be a big part of of the process. So learning how to learn is is ultimately understanding what your relationship is with these people and how you can help them so that they can mm-hmm. help you. Right. It's, it's both, it's, it is both sides. I guess it all comes back down to like, what, what's your network? Who do you know? What questions can you ask? And, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and also too, you know, not, not just like the work life thing, which is obviously becomes more of an issue the longer you're in the industry, but typically noobs aren't as concerned with that. True. They're just willing, they want to burn it all and just like get in, get in and and climb, climb, climb. I think for me, what I always found most interesting about asking people that I looked up to uh, either at the office or maybe even at an event was was more uh, less about like what button does what, because, you know, I, I never wanted to take anybody's time with something that I could kind of find out on my own. I was more interested in why they made the decisions that they made on whatever piece that we were working on or I admired and uh, what their process was when they were trying to solve problems. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately what we all do for a living, and even if you're just kind of starting out and hoping to do this for a living, is we're just solving problems. That's all design and animation and, and, and things are. We're solving problems through a medium, a visual medium. And uh, we often have to solve more problems than the average artist because we work in a completely virtual world of 3D where you can't just pick up a camera and shoot a sunset. You have to create it from scratch. And uh, so I'm always interested in the hows and the whys of somebody that I admire. And, and just to kind of help me understand my own problem-solving uh, methods in other people's kind of stories, I think is really important. Like if you ever see something that you really admire, see something that somebody's done and you like it, maybe you don't even know why you like it. You can ask them questions like, well, why did you decide to use that lens? And why did you decide to make it move over here instead of over there? And they might have a, they might just say that it was pure coincidence, which is, you know, happens, but there might be a reason that might teach you something about your work. Um, well, it sounds like that the simple way of saying what you guys are saying, and I totally agree with it, is you should be asking experts essay questions, and you should be asking Google the true or false or the multiple choice questions. So, like and every, all the Probably examples, you guys just said, like <laughs> when you're talking to an expert, you don't say how do you do this, you say why did you do this, and that's instantly an essay question. Yeah, um, that's true, man. I never thought about it that way. So there you go. Essays are actually, you know. They come in handy. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? But uh, I want to shift gears maybe a little bit on this topic. And it, we, we, this seems to be almost entirely on 
in the context of like, you're going to be talking to other people. Uh, and, and that's a great resource, but I feel like that's a, that's a small resource of all of them. So I'd kind of like to shift gears for a second and have everybody talk about their actual process for diving into something new. Like, you know, when I dive into something new, I'm not necessarily jumping onto forums and talking to experts. Um, so when you, uh, well, just, define new, like, what do you, like a new project? Well, like, okay, I'll just say like for a... me, uh, I mean, I've done this in so many different pieces of software, but you know, I'll just use my most recent go-to, which is I play with unity, uh, the video game making application every once in a while. So when I was diving into unity, I'd never literally never done it. And this is why I do all software for the most part. If it's a piece of software I really want to engage on, then I usually open up the software, you know, get the software, open it up. And I just start clicking buttons, fiddling around, going through menus, just just seeing what I can do, not having read anything, not having watched the video, nothing. And I think, and the point of this is to give yourself a little bit of context. You don't know what you're doing, but you click this menu, you're like, oh, that made a sphere. And you click over here, you're like, that looks like a light. Click over here, it's like, oh, there's, it says render settings. I don't know what that means. Uh, I'm going to close that. There's too many buttons. But what, but just by fiddling around with that, even for an hour or two, just trying to do anything, be like, oh, let's see if I can figure out how to make this go from here to here. And no, I can't figure that out. Let's try and do, by the time you've done that for an hour or two, or even a day or whatever amount of time, now you can go and maybe watch a tutorial or you can open up the manual and start playing. And just by having tinkered around in the software by yourself a little bit, you have given mm -hmm. yourself so much context. Mm -hmm. So like, assuming you don't know anything about 3D or, or Unity, like you don't know you don't know how to move one thing from one place to another. You don't even know that's a thing. You don't even know you can move something from one place to another. But you've gone in and you open up something that said timeline. And then you're like, oh, okay, there's like these lines wiggling around in there. Now when you watch a tutorial about timeline, it's like, oh, that's this section. And you instantly make that connection. Meanwhile, if you're just, you know, to take a book and go, you know, sit down on your deck and, and read a manual, you're like, well, here's, okay, dry information, dry information, dry information. You're not connecting it to real, the real things in the world. You know, I, and I don't know. I don't know an instrument or anything, but I assume like if you actually pick up a guitar and just play around with it for a while, then go start watching tutorials and learning about things. Because if you've never held a guitar before, what they're saying almost means nothing to you. Like it's just dry, whatever information. But once you know a little bit, you can start making those connections. I love the music analogy. I've used that so many times, you know, it's yeah. so perfect for this kind of thing because um, and I know you'll agree with this, Nick, as a musician, a fellow musician, um, once you kind of master an instrument, um, it's really easy. And I don't want to say not really easy because it's not every instrument has its challenges, but it becomes easier to pick up another instrument and at least be able to fake your way through something. And that's how 3D is. Like you learn one application, let's say it's, it's Maya. And for me, it was 3D Studio Max. I learned that thing as well as I could. And then when I made the transition into cinema, I just said, okay, what songs do I really know? I'm going to try to play these in cinema. And that's what I did. I said, okay, this is how I would do this project, aka play this song in Max. And now I'm going to try to tackle it in cinema. So yeah, I think the music analogy is perfect for this because it, it really does sum up how my brain works. And like, it also reinforces my statement about 3d as a language. And once you've mastered one, it's really easy to go in and master the others. Yeah. I've, I've used the music analogy, even uh, I've used it publicly a lot because I think a lot of musicians um, are in this industry. I think it's a kind of a similar um, thing that 
we all share. A lot of people that I talk to are musicians, but it, it also separates it from all the emotion that you can have when you're in a project or you feel like you're new at something. If you transition it to something else that is that is more more physical, like working out or mus- or being a musician or something where it's like, listen, you know, the, the, the running analogy is always a big one. Like if you, if you, if you've never put the shoes on and just walked around your house and you buy all the, and you buy all the magazines, like you're doing it wrong. You know, you have to, you have to be a part of the physical motion of it as you learn. And so Chris, you saying like, open it up, play around, mess up. Then you have the context. Exactly. That is that, that's exactly right. And the way that I like to think of it is through this music thing and understand that I always tell really, really new people not to learn either either hone your design skills or hone your technical skills and try not to do both at once. And so when you're learning technical stuff, do it, do the manual, like do what's in the manual, make a sphere go from here to here and keyframe it. Or uh, if you want a little bit more advanced than that, pick something like a, a rotating logo from your favorite sports team and try to emulate that movement. Pick something else that is not uh, artistic so that you could focus on the technical side. And then when you're working on the technical side or uh, when you're working on your artistic side, don't worry so much about the technology of it and, and try to separate those two things. Just like when you first learn guitar, they don't show you how to write a song and how to play guitar at the same time. That's just not the order they do it in. They always show you the technical skills of here are the chords. The mechanics. The mechanics of how to do it. And that's why I always recommend for early early uh, students is to, to copy. Straight up copy what, what you like because that's how you're going to get stuck. Uh, because if you're just playing around and noodling with a guitar, so let's just take it back to the guitar. If you pick up a guitar and you're just noodling around you find a couple cool notes – that's cool. Like you're getting the mechanics, you're filling it up. But if a client asks you to do a song to like write a song, you would, you would be clueless. Cause really all you're learning is like these notes go together. That's kind of cool. And this is fun. You're not really learning either thing. So what- see, that's the, that's the thing. Like I, I'm not, I hate to interrupt you, but you made a great point that I want to build off of, which is um, a lot of times people in our industry will just learn the three chords and then they'll start, doing jobs with the three chords and then they're they never go past three chords they never understand that there's way more notes to be played and that's where you know you you have to as a noob or somebody that's learning learn the fundamentals learn what can be done on the guitar before you uh you know hang up your learning hat after you've learned three chords that just happen to get you one job so yeah, I'm, I hate, you know, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to make that point. Don't stop at three chords. No, and <laughs> you know what? I'll put myself in that bucket. I The reason I don't do a lot of client work um, and, and kind of left that industry early is because of that. Because I am, the way that I learn is a very, can be a very shallow way of learning, which is I like learning the power chords in guitar language. I love learning the fact that I could do power chords and a couple scales and I could play, I could pretend like I'm a blues player. Like that is what I get out of a lot of these things. So you need to understand as anybody out there is I'm bringing up noob stuff because I, I love being a noob, but I, I understand that that is my passion. My fun is learning the new stuff. And so you have to figure out like, how deep do you want to go with this too? 
That's a big part of it. Because if you just want to learn those three chords in cinema, which I've, you know, done over and over again, right? I've Here's dynamics, here's reflections, here's some basic simple objects. And I can combine those three power chords into countless, uh, uh, you know, Instagram posts at this point, <laughs> right? We And we all can. And that's the, that's the reason I want to talk about it because – it is stepping are we up. Saying that, are we saying that that it's punk rock? Is that what we're really Basically, getting? Basically, Grace. Here? Yeah, that. Yeah, I'm the punk rocker. <laughs> That's why I hired Chad, who's actually a punk rocker, but that actually he knows more chords in cinema than I. I ever just happen was. to know a few more chords. That's why I'm in the band. <laughs> but but it. but that's a great way of thinking about it. Is like a punk rock band is one way to approach music, but you're not going to write a film score if you're a punk rock band, right? And also, you know, there's people out there that that in their career, maybe the 3D isn't the focus of their career, but they need to know it because once in a while they need to make a logo or they need to make some element for somebody else. And, it, you know, that's why I think the three chords and, and the fundamentals are super important. But if you want to make 3D motion design, visual effects, your career, if that's your goal, then you already know that you can't, you're not going to make a career on three chords in that industry. Mm-hmm. You're just not. And and you already know that, hopefully. And if you don't, then, well, you just found out you have a lot more learning to do. Um, but yeah, I guess, you know, I'm happy that I'm part of this band because I'm, <laughs> I was, uh, my other band stopped playing, so. I mean, and guy, like, tie it all in together. Here's a yeah. weird, here's a weird insight too. Like, there's a reason Chris and Chad are here as a part of this team because I know my limitation. I know my limitation in in being the punk rock player, right? And I needed to bring somebody in that knew how to like how to out of whatever you whatever analogy you want to take. Like, it's all making sense now. Like it's now, now together. we're Radiohead, right? <laughs> And before we were, you know, I, I just on my own could only play those, those, those chords. So it, what, what, so it, you're the lead man. Listen, I just, I got, I got the nice I'm the, I'm the lead guitarist then. I don't know. What would what, I, is, what is, is Chris like synth or what's, right, he doing? I, I don't know what I am. Let's I think mean, about mixed things, obviously. So that, yeah, he's obviously the front man and I'll, I'm the, I'm like the slash. Like what? What? Everybody think about what role they want to play in this in this uh, in this rush band. See, I've never really been I will, in a band, I refuse, though, so I don't know the parallel. Well, I refuse to be a, a singer that doesn't play an instrument. I I think. Oh uh, come on! I don't hate on those. Unless you're unless That's you're, what I you're was. the tambourine man. Unless you're Adele, you can't do that. Chad, you got to pick up oh, a guitar, come on, man. man. I tried, but I can't do both at the same time. I'm I'm not that coordinated. Listen, if you're Whitney Houston, you could do that shit. But come on. You never saw me play, man. You never All right, saw you're me. right. <laughs> I see. I'm hating. I'm hating. See, I don't, don't know. Be a hater, man. I don't like that. I'm. Le- I quit the band, man. Fuck this. So here's. Maybe I'm tired. I get a little. You know what? It's 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 this topic. It gets me. It gets me fired up because. I don't. I I love passion. I love when somebody looks at something new and says, "I want to do that. I want to go try that. I want to be a part of that." And that energy. I love personally when I have that energy, I love when kids or at any age, anybody around me that has that energy of like, huh, I didn't know that was a possible thing to go do. Um, And I love that energy of like, yeah, not only is it possible, but there's this and this and this, and you could try this and let's, let's get you, let's get your hands dirty. Let's go. And when I see somebody 
coming into that industry or that new thing, and then all of the old guard is looking at them and saying, you know, uh, get out of here, noob. Like, that's such a weird feeling. And I want to, I feel like it's Have my... It, has that happened to you before? It happens constantly. And all... To you? To me, oh, all the time. I get... You know how many comments we get about how little Nick knows about Cinema 4D? Absolutely. But here's the here's the thing. That's the whole point. Like, the whole point is understanding where you are. And it's not about shutting anybody else up. They could, Anybody could say what they want. But what, 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 what I want to say as somebody that's been in this industry long enough to, to be able to work in it, but also know my limitations is don't let anybody else tell you what you can and can't do. That's like one of my biggest pet peeves is just like everybody should could say whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But ultimately what I, what I see is somebody poking their head into a, 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 a busy room and for, and for people to yell at them to say, get the hell out. And what I'd much rather see is for somebody to grab their hand and go, Hey, stick with me, kid. There's some rough characters around here, but let me show you. <laughs> like, sounds kind of sketchy already. I don't know if I trust this guy. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, me by the hand it's just, into some it's, dark It's closet. just a Star Wars situation, right? Everyone needs to find their Yoda, or I, I don't know. Did I do that analogy right? Everyone needs to find their character <laughs> that could grab them, their hand, and their buddy that could say, hey, it's okay. You're doing it. And that's what I want to represent here, like – it, as Grayscale Gorilla, I think one of the reasons we talked to the the group that we did is because of that. Is because I decided to stand up and say it's okay. Like we could we could play around and and make some basic stuff, and we don't nobody's. It's okay for now. And then when you're ready to graduate and you're you're ready to learn your scales and your chords and your and like you know your minor sevenths. Now we're gonna graduate you up. Now we're gonna get you a job. Now we're gonna get you paid. But in the meantime, let's have fun. Like, let's not discourage people before it even starts. So that's right. where this noob idea for me gets really, I get so passionate about it because how do you even know you like this yet? Like, you should have a playground where you could come in and play around and not get, like, slammed. You know, if, if mm-hmm. I'm, I'm imagining... I think that used to be worse back. I think the slamming and the trolling and all that used to be worse back when... You know, MoGraph.net was like where everybody hung out online uh, to talk about projects and whatnot. I would see a lot of just like, you know, trolls and and jerks with their anonymity hiding behind that and just saying really mean things to people. And I think I'm not in those circles anymore, so I don't really know what where people are hanging out. I just mostly am hanging out on Slack where there's a little bit more accountability and like you're you're on a on a Slack chat because you know somebody that's organizing it or I can see your name and I know who you are. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like, yeah, there's, there's probably a lot of, I guess what I'm saying is it used to be worse in, in my opinion. It's a little bit easier now for people, I think to, to find, find like-minded people, other noobs to learn from and whatnot. But yeah, I remember back like in the probably a little, maybe 2009, 2010, like that time period where you would look at the comments on motionographer and there'd be some really nasty shit <laughs> being said in there. And it was like, I didn't know where, and that wasn't even like noobs sticking their head in. That was like just haters sticking their head in right. and that type of negativity, man, like there's no room for that. There's no reason for it. If you're not happy in your career, 
uh, doing what you're doing, then change it. Don't don't belittle or or hate on somebody that's that's doing what they love, and it might not be something you like or whatever. But the same goes for for noobs and hating on noobs. It's like we were all there once. We all know what that feels like. You don't have the time to help them. Fine, that's cool. Just be honest with that noob and say, listen, I'd love to help you, but I'm too busy. <laughs> Let me Google that for you. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, and and it's also, you know, I think the responsibility of the of people like, you know, ourselves that are on the mountain to say, hey, listen, dude, don't come up the mountain with that Google question anymore. I'm sick of that. I don't have time for that. And And just like give them constructive criticism on how to approach a question with someone. Um, I don't know. I lost my train of thought now. No, I just but, yeah. go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was just going to say that the big challenge here is that the pool of new people, and this goes for anything, but the pool of new people is always going to be so much bigger than the percentage of them that ever come close to climbing like any distance of the mountain. Like, you know, you start out, you know, you start out one day is like, who's, who's illegally downloaded software. That's a thousand people. How many people are actually going to like spend a day in it? Like that's a hundred people. Like how many people are going to actually start, you know, actually start trying to create real work. Like you're down to 10 people. It's like, Oh, how many people actually buy it and, and become an expert? It's like, that's one person out of the thousand. So it, it's hard to talk because all thousands of those people might be asking the Google questions mm-hmm. to, to the community or to the forum or to whatever that might be. So, but then you never know. Cause like if it's, if you knew from the beginning that that one person was going to, as you said, like climb the mountain, keep going with it, become an expert one day. You'd you'd be totally willing to to even hold their hand more than you would normally. Well, yeah, because you feel like you're investing in something, you know. Yeah, it's, there's it's, always that question of that, uh, and I'll get, and I'll always go more out of my way to to answer the one that's like, "Hey, I checked this, I went here, and then I read the manual, and then I looked, I searched for this, and man, I tried it, and here's my scene file, but I feel like I'm stumped on this one little bit." Man, I love those. Like that question is the question to ask. Um, how do you do this? Is always the worst question to ask because the the question back from anybody that's been doing this long enough is how, where are you stuck? So, for example, is like how do you do the the um, the, the the drippy uh, title sequence from uh, what's Daredevil. Daredevil? How do you do the r- red drippy? title sequence from Daredevil. The question back from almost anybody should be like, where are you stuck? Like you got the black glossy characters and you tried to fake some liquid this way and you tried to fake some liquid this way. And then you looked into like how to do liquid in cinema 4d and you like, at what point did you get stuck? But uh, I guess what I'm saying is asking that question up front um, is ultimately a really difficult question to it, it's asking how to write a song. Almost like, how do you write a song? Like, well, have you tried to write a song? <laughs> like, have have you sat down and like put three chords and some lyrics together? What instruments do you know? Yeah, yeah. That's so that and and none of this, I, I, I want to clarify, none of this comes from like, uh, you know, none of us here are tired of trying to solve people's uh, questions. Like, that's why that's why I started doing what I do is because I like helping. Um, what I'm trying to give is, are the tools so, because our time is limited, right? Not everybody. We can't answer everyone's question. But mm-hmm. the, what's really literally cool, we could not. Yeah. We literally could not. And we, we, in fact, have a show on Wednesday, every Wednesday uh, that where you could bring your Cinema 40 questions because we got so many of them. Where we're like, we cannot do this, but we're going to make one time where you could bring it. And Chris, who knows? 
more about Cinema 4D than almost anyone I know can answer your questions. What I'm suggesting through all this talk, and the reason, one of the reasons I want to talk about it is how do you frame your question correctly to the other people that you know that have been doing this for a while so that they are more likely to help you? And it really it does come back down to relationships. It's about knowing that person. It's about helping that person. It's about being in the community. It's, it's why one of the things that I uh, tell anybody that really does want to eventually you know, that one out of a thousand you mentioned, Chris, if, if those numbers are correct, you know, uh, that wants to get through and actually do this for a living. One of the best things that they could do if they know anything about software is to go into one of those places and be the person that answers all the dumb questions. Just be that person for the larger community. I think that little, that little thing that you could do is one of the best things that you could do to introduce yourself into the community as somebody that, as someone that knows what they're talking about, and that is willing to help other people. And if you're there to block all the questions from that those people that have been around forever, and then you can sit there and answer like where the save button is and how to add dynamic, like you could do that for everybody. Then when you're ready, you could reach up and say, hey, I'm really stuck with this thing. Can you guys help me? And now you actually have a visibility. You have you have your face in your the community. Cred. You have so <laughs> much street cat and you're helping them by like, by like helping clean up the place. Like you're literally doing work. You walked into the, into the, um, into the room and you said, how can I help? And that's one of the best things that anyone can do. So, um, I have a question for you then. Okay. All right. As we're kind of getting close to our hour mark here, I want, I only because I have a really good noob story and I want to hear if anybody else does. Who's your fit? What's your favorite noob story? Who's your favorite noob that you've helped um, in your time uh, as, as a artist in this industry? Starting, I guess with Nick. Oh God. Actually, I I have, I I can start one in my head. In fact, this is, I think this is a lesson I'm gonna take this as a lesson that Nick and I learned, and and Ivan, if you're listening, then you can then you can. Oh, that's about it. We talked about this, so so we had Ivan come and and hang out with us at the Great Scale Gorilla Studio, and I have never. It's rare to meet somebody as enthusiastic as Ivan was. And well, how did you, was first, go back before you just tell people who he is. And well, I, Ivan was the one and only Great Scale Gorilla intern. He came in and he started coming into the studio and it, I think Nick met him at some random meetup where he just did all this really nice looking work and like he's he's doing daily renders. So he came in like like being kind of dangerous in Cinema 4D in a good way. But but super enthusiastic, like uh, the most enthusiastic person ever. And he also had and probably continues to have, I I'm sure he does, like a million ideas a day. Like, oh, what if we did this? What if we did this? What if we tried this? What if we do this? What if we do this? And to be perfectly honest, Nick and I were a little overwhelmed by it. We hadn't really <laughs> been exposed to it on that level. And and for a little bit, oh, that's great. For a little bit, Nick and I pushed back against them. Like, dude, calm down. Like, like we we can't do all this stuff. We got to slow down. Like, like you're you're going to and then and then Nick and I like after a little bit, we we were chatting and we we're like. You know, I, I feel kind of bad. Like I don't, this, this kid's amazing. He's doing all these amazing things. He's talking about all these ideas. He's got so many amazing little details and stuff. And here we are being like kind of overwhelmed by it. But like, I never, ever, ever want to be the person to stifle somebody else's like enthusiasm and creativity. And so we immediately like, okay, we got to pull back and be like, okay, we, we, okay. Obviously you can't do all these ideas, but like encouraging and talking about and just being, having these ideas is amazing. 
And so like, that was a little, that was a little bit of like, Oh wait, like let's make sure that, uh, let's make sure we're doing this right. So, yeah, no, that, that was, uh, cause I remember, I don't uh, think Ivan's changed at all, by the way. No, well, no, no that's, that's, that's one well, of the good. best we didn't things, break them. which is good. But but it reminded me of when in in college when they were teaching me how websites were made, and they're like, you got to get the wireframe, and then you got to get this, and you got to get the team all on the same page. And I'm like, why don't you just open up a browser or you know like CSS and start going at it? Like, let's go. What what's all this before planning? All this BS. And I was kind of like, uh, I was the noob at that point, not understanding that working in a bigger team. You have to like pre-plan and you have to decide what what everyone's going to do, right? It's not all just like you're going to sit down and just start coding it and then you'll eventually get to the end. And so for for a moment there, we were that for Ivan where he was so and still is so like excited and wants to try all this stuff. And actually, we were the ones telling him that he couldn't do it like to, to bring it all back. Like everyone does this. Anybody with enough experience can look and say, ah, all that ambition. <laughs> all that yeah, these kids, like, uh, to be young yeah all that passion he's uh not jaded yet and all that other stuff right all the old yeah. guy stuff that just happens as you start doing things with projects bigger teams and all those things well, we start having systems and our methods for doing it and then look i think uh, i think even luckily like i even came in at the right time where we got that little hint of like oh man we're doing that thing that we hate like we have right. to stop this right now and, um, and, and what was our answer from then on is like go like uh, here's here's a budget here's time go do it and like he was hacking the xbox to get that working right like he was doing so many projects and was like actually progressing through now here's the other side of the story a lot of them didn't work out right uh, yes, but of course. <laughs> and some of that some of that comes with you know understanding or knowing how difficult certain problems are but dang man you're right. That that's uh passion is you don't want to you don't want to step in front of that train. Just let it yeah. let it go. And when the- sometimes sometimes you have to slightly direct it and like corral it into a direction. Yeah. But yeah, you should never be a roadblock. Well, here's here's my and I I don't want this to sound like um we're a bunch of like uh gurus that are like giving everyone else advice, but I think it's I think it's the fact that this is this this goes for anything new that like I'm learning a bunch of new stuff right now. I'm the noob in a in a ton of things. Um and learning how to learn is like an ongoing process. It never ends. Have to me, having the never ending student mentality is always the way to go. So um one of one of my favorite things to think about is like what who how does the other side think about this? Right? Like I don't we don't need to get into politics, but if you if you think about politics and the the way that literally half the country thinks very differently than whatever you think about, you have to understand that it's not that half the country is an idiot; it's that they think completely differently than you do. So when I when I see beginners at any stage, at any level, one of the one of the questions and one of the one of the things that I always want to try to do is flip it and and have us both argue the other person's side. And so I understand what their points are and they understand what my points are. So in the, in like an Ivan situation or in any kind of new situation, it's kind of like, can can I let you understand why the, these things are important? And then can I also understand where your passion is? I don't think that came out very clear. 
Um, no, that makes sense. But, yeah. I, I want to say I want to talk about the other side of that story, and I think we've represented, you know, the the um, how to act as a noob in this in this whole podcast. But we haven't really talked about how to treat as somebody who's mid to high experience level how to approach the noob because that's also important. And my story directs totally to this because you know I totally screwed up. And and I admit it. And and I'm going to tell you the story of Tim Little. I don't know if you know Tim Little. Um, Tim Little is uh, a CG artist at um, uh, Carbon, and we just had a meet up there. And um, he was one of the main speakers that talked about some projects that he did. Well, he was an intern at DK when he started, and we had a nickname for him, or I came up with a nickname, called him the Day One Creeper. Because he literally would walk around everybody's desk and just sort of like he would appear from nowhere and just like look at your work and what are you working on? What are you doing? And he was like this creeper guy that would just like hang out right here and, and just kind of roam around. And I was like, who, who the hell is this guy? Like, what's he think? Who does he think he is? You know, putting his nose in my monitor, like, get out of here, you know, creeper. I don't want to I don't want to deal with you. And he was really persistent, never rude about any of it, but he, you know, he, the fact that he would just kind of creep up on you sometimes would be weird. But, um, finally one day, it was like a Friday. I think I was working on a problem for a project that I couldn't figure out how to do. And I knew a script would make it work so much better. And he told me that he knew how to do scripting. And so, you know, to get him out of my hair one Friday, he came by and said, do I need any help with this project? And I said, yeah, yeah. Okay, Tim. Um, I need a script that offsets the point cache of each one of these objects by a certain number of frames that I will determine. Um, and I need it to, I need it to, uh, you know, offset this, the cache offset in Z and um, have it done by Monday. And he was like, okay. And I'm like, great. That'll get him out of my hair the rest of the day. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have to worry about this guy. Like I don't know who the hell this guy is like totally like pushed him off, blew him off. Sunday morning, I wake up and I'm having my coffee and I notice I have an email from Tim. Okay. And Tim, I'm already like, what does he have a question for me? Like, what's his problem? I was like totally ready to like, I was already kind of mad and just like whatever. So I, I look at and he's and in the email, it's like, hey, I, I think I solved it for you. Attached is the script. And so I, I take my coffee and I go downstairs to my office where it used to be in the basement and I fire up the computer and I launch the script and it worked flawlessly, absolutely flawlessly. And I took a step back and I'm like, okay, wait a minute. He must've, he must've found a script somewhere online and cut and paste this thing and is trying to pass it off on his own. So I check, I opened up his code and I'm looking for anything, any sort of like commented out sections that would lead me to believe that somebody else had written it. No, it was actually beautiful code. He had commented it with his own name and everything was right up there and it looked totally professional. And right then and there, as I'm drinking my coffee, I, I said, this guy's got it. This guy's got got what I what what I love, and that is passion, tenacity, talent. And from that I, from that day forward, I hired him on for another internship. I extended his internship. I hired him as a full time employee, and then I uh, I brought him up to a technical director position at DK. And now he left and is you know doing amazing things at Carbon. So the the moral of that story is don't underestimate people. 
don't assume because you you will be wrong. And like I was wrong uh, for that, that lesson, Tim taught me the lesson of never judge a book by its cover. Never, um, uh, you know, never, never just believe that somebody can't do something simply because they're new. Um, and, and that, that is a lesson that I hope every TD or C, sorry, CD or supervisor learns, um, that I hope somebody as talented as Tim will teach them, uh, to never, never judge a book by its cover. And the day one creeper, man, he killed <laughs> it. it. He <laughs> killed it, dude. And then he went on to write some insane tools for us at DK, like all these That's like so workflow cool. tools and like all this great stuff. And he became a really good compositor because he wanted to do compositing. And so I'm, you know, made sure that, you know, he was doing those things. And, and now he's, now he's doing killer work. He did, he did an animated Tony the Tiger for uh, Kellogg's. Um, so I'm very proud of him. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm thinking about my story. I don't, I don't have a specific person. I, I meet people at, you know, at Seagraph, NAB, uh, at other events come up to us at the booth or me and, and tell their story about how they, they watched our stuff and that, that they started off as a noob. They didn't know stuff and we helped them bring them to a level where they're now working in the industry. People quit jobs that they used to hate. Like those are the stories I like to hear. Those are the, those are the reasons I am doing what I'm doing. And the reason this podcast is important, at least that we keep going is like, I, I want to keep talking about this stuff. Like I, um, this stuff I think helps people because not everyone was in Chicago and could go to a meetup and meet 10 or 15 or 20 people. Um, so for me, what I'd say is if you're you know new at anything out there and you're looking at a, a way to approach it, always, always come at it from trying to solve the prop, the, try to solve the problem on your own first and then reach out to someone else and see if, see how they solved it. Because it kind of encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about. It, it it talks about grabbing a hold of the guitar first before going out and learning the new bit. It talks about seeing how far you can go uh, learn about it by yourself before you can go out and ask and get context. It gives you experience in problem solving. That's one of the biggest parts about it is it gets you in there going like, huh, wonder how I can wonder how you do make that, right? That question you ask yourself is almost always more valuable than the question that you can ask somebody else because now you're doing what you would be doing as a professional in this industry, which when you are working, that is what your job is. Your job is somebody puts boards in front of you or an idea in front of you and they go, you got to make that. And you don't have a lot of time to go ask a bunch of questions and you don't have a lot of time to go. You, you, you have time for a couple of little questions, but not for all of them. Uh, there, nobody's going to make a tutorial for that thing that they set in front of you. So one of the best things that you could do is train yourself and your brain to try to answer it yourself based on the knowledge that you know, based on the tools that you know. Can I hack my way through this? Can I fake my way through it? Then when you get stuck, go find the answer to that one specific question. So now you know, right? This is how you make a blurry reflection or this is how you make fake liquid or whatever. Now you have that tool in your toolkit so that next time you could, it just adds on and adds on. So I don't know how that, there was a lot there, but I think it does come down to doing it yourself first and then asking the other one. And I'll, I'll, I'll lead my, leave my part with this, which is I, I love the noob. I want everybody to, to have the noob mentality. I, I think passionate 
people that are in new, newly into something are some of the most exciting people to be around. And I want to encourage other people to, if they see that person, don't discourage them. Tell them they're asking the wrong question, but then show them how to ask the right one. You don't have to be their full-time mentor. You don't have to do any of that. And so many people are like, oh, they're going to, all these new people are going to take my job. Listen, <laughs> listen, if we're not an inclusive community, now you're working in one of the worst, most poisonous places in the world, which are, which are groups of people that are like doing what they do and they push everyone else away. And it sucks. You don't want to be a part of that community. <clears throat> Maya. <clears throat> <laughs> you don't want to be a part of that community. So please do that. And what I'll, uh, uh, the last bit of that is if they learn and they're learning and they grow up and they want to do this for a living, the market will figure that part out. Nobody's bamboozling anyone. If they're not good at what they do, ultimately, the market will figure it out. And if they become better than you, that says something about you, not them, right? That's about where you are in your career. So I always want to encourage that new person that that is excited about it, not just cinema. Man, for those of you who want to go play drums or guitar or piano, it's not as hard as you think. I'll, leave, I'll, I'll, I'll just say drums that. Are, drums are pretty hard. Drums are the easiest drums, one. Drums, drums are pretty hard. There's not even notes on that one. I know, but it's hard. All right. If you guys want a drum lesson, I'm going to get those set up. It's very basic. <laughs> I'm just going to teach you <laughs> but the rock I can't, and roll. My hands and feet don't do this. Do what I want. I could give you, I'm going to give you, Chad, a uh, something you need to practice on every day. And in a week, you'll be able to do it. Ah, I might actually take you up on that. I've been, can you be my first one? I have this in my head that I could teach anyone to play drums, basic, just rock and roll drums. And I'm going to start with you because you know music too. So this will be I wish easy. I, I, I have tried, like every band that I've been in, you know, in the middle of practice, we're not doing anything. I'll sit on the kit. And it's just a train wreck every yeah, time. I got every it. time. Chris, you in? Can I can I get you on the drum clinic? Yeah, we can try. It'll be take two. I'm not gonna tell the story now, but you tried this once before. I think I think I might be the exception to the rule, but <laughs> but I, I, we're, we're we're way over right now. I think we should wrap this, this sucker up. <laughs> That's People true. Are like, all right, we're off the rails. That's true. I love being <laughs> off the rails. Oh, look That's at that crazy train, man! Come on, Mister Call. This was good. Um. I hope I hope it was good. Let me let us know in the comments. We didn't talk about it before. We have uh, show notes over at YouTube. We have show notes on uh, the iTunes. Um, let us know what you think. What are the things that uh, people can think of when they're starting off? What are things that you've experienced as somebody? Because everybody's been there. Everybody's been new at something. No, nobody comes out knowing any of this stuff. And so, let us know what what got you through. Um, your noob experience on whatever it is. And if you have any advice, we'd love to hear it. Um, and also show topics, let us know. So we are, we are over. Let's wrap this one up. Thank you guys for stopping by. Happy, Thank you. Mon happy Monday, everybody. And I'll see you in yep. another podcast really soon. Bye everybody. Bye -bye.